This time our pastor, Brother Richard Hayes. Amen. Thank you, sir. Well, it's a blessing to be here this morning. We're glad you've come to worship with us for a little while. If you have your Bibles, be turning over to the book of Matthew, chapter 8. Uh, Lord, being our helper, we're going to speak on the subject this morning of faith in the midst of a storm. And uh, sometimes that's, we need to kind of reaffirm our faith. We talked a little bit about this, I believe it was on Wednesday night. Uh, I don't remember it last Wednesday night or Wednesday night before. Uh, as Brother Luther said, when you take off on Sunday, you kind of get messed up on where you were and when you was there. But uh, anyway, uh, I trust that this message will be helpful to, uh, unto you this morning. And if you found your place in the book of Matthew, uh, chapter 8, if you'll go down to verse 23, we'll start reading there. If you'll stand with us, please. And when he entered into a ship, his disciples followed him. Behold, there arose a great tempest in the sea, insomuch that he, the ship was covered with waves, but he was asleep. And his disciples came to him and awoke him, saying, Lord, save us, we perish. And he said unto them, Why are you faithful, uh, fearful, O ye of little faith? Then he arose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. But the men marveled, saying, What matter of man is this, that even the winds and the sea obey him? Father, we thank you this morning, Lord, for your goodness. And Lord, do we pray this morning for your guidance, that we'll be able to set forth the message that you've given unto us, Lord, in a way that... Uh, it would uh, apply to the hearts of those that are sitting in this building today, Lord. And Father, the Holy Spirit would be able to do His office work in our hearts. Help us, Lord, that we'll always make decisions that honor and glorify Your Son. And Father, I'd pray this morning, if there's one here without Him as Savior, today it'd be the time they'd turn to Him. For we pray in the precious name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, I believe the message will go in a little bit different direction this morning, perhaps, than most of us would think. It certainly went in a different direction than what I thought it would when I started it. But uh, we, I trust that you'll listen closely, and you've got a pencil, you may want to jot a few things down, because we're going to be uh, covering some of the major doctrines uh, of the Word of God. But we notice something as we talk about faith in the midst of the storm, that these disciples followed Jesus into the ship. Now, a lot of times we get the idea that if problems come, it's because we fail to follow the Lord. But in this case, these men did not walk astray. These men weren't men of disobedience. These men were the individuals who followed closely after what the Lord had commanded them to do. And so we understand that not all trouble that comes into the life of the child of God is because of chastening. Now, uh, the word chastening, if it's new to you, simply means a whipping. Now, I know somebody said whipping. I said, uh, I used to get a whopping. But uh, uh, there's a little bit of difference maybe there. And, uh, but anyway, chastening is from the Lord. And we notice that it's certainly a doctrine of the Word of God. If you'll turn with me over to the book of Hebrews and chapter 12 and start reading in verse 6. It said, For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth 
and surges every son whom he receiveth. Now, I want us to stop there for a moment and see that God said, if you're one of his, he'll chasten you, he'll whip you. Now, the fact that it says son doesn't mean that you females are off the hook. Uh, that simply means that every child that God receives, he's got to whip and chasten. You'll say, well, now, I don't see uh, why God would do that. Well, he does it because we need correcting. Now, if we can live perfect, God wouldn't chasten us. God wouldn't surge us. But uh, God has a purpose in chastening his children. And he says every son that he receives, there comes a time when he has to chasten them. And that speaks to us to the fact that we do not live perfect. Now, if there's anybody in this building this morning that would uh, profess that you live perfect, you live sinless, there's one or two things wrong with you. You're either greatly deceived or you're greatly lying because God wants us to know that every son, every daughter that he receives, he chastening, chastens us. And then notice in verse 8, but if you be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then are you bastards and not sons. I've heard people say, man, I've been living for the Lord for the longest and nothing you have has ever come into my life that troubles me and Man, everything just been a bed of roses, and, and uh, I've had a good life. I'll tell you one thing. If I was a claim to be a child of God, and everything went right all the time, I'd check up on my salvation. Because the Bible says here that if you be without chastisement, if you be without trouble, then he said, you're not one of my children, and you never have been. Now, we may not be involved in storms upon the real seas uh, as far as the water is concerned. Uh, but I know, want you to know that we are going to be tossed about with the storms of the life in which we live. And so he, he says here that if we don't have that chastening, uh, then we're uh, not his children. And then he says in verse 10, it's for our good. For they verily, this is talking about our earthly parents, for they verily uh, for a few days chastened us after their own pleasure. I mean, they, they have uh, their own ideas and their own reasons for chastening us. And then, but notice what he says, but he for our profit, but God for our profit chastens us that we might be partakers of his holiness. Now God's plan for us, God's desire for us is that we be just like his son, Jesus Christ. Now, we'll never get there on this side of eternity, but we ought to desire to get there and want to strive to get there, and we ought to understand that God is trying to conform us under the image of his son, and that's the reason he has to chasten us many times. So I want you to know that the doctrine of chastening is a real doctrine. And you'll say, well, how do I know? Because that still, sweet, small voice uh, down deep in the seat of your soul will whisper to you and say, this trouble comes because you needed a whipping. This trouble came to correct you. This trouble came to grow you. And uh, so God let us know. I, I read a book one time on uh, raising children. Uh, I've read more than one, but this one particular one I thought was very good. 
And the guy said, every time I have to chasten one of my children for something, I always set them down and I explain to them what they did wrong and why I had to chasten them and made sure they understood I still love them. Now, I've heard Brother Rex say this. His daddy used to tell him that a whipping would hurt him more than hurt Brother Rex, and he doubted that. But that's what this, this fellow said. I'd tell them that this whipping's going to hurt me as well as you, or this uh, chastisement, whatever it was that he was putting on that uh, child, was going to hurt him as well. And uh, so he went through that process, and I believe God does that. I believe when God chastens us, he lets us know that he's whipping us for a purpose and what that purpose is. Because he does it for our profit, as the scripture says. But there are times when trials come into our lives, uh, forms of trouble that are not because of chastening. Now remember the story of the Lord Jesus Christ. This has always been kind of a mystery to me. Uh, After that, Jesus made his public announcement of who he was and went down to the river Jordan and was baptized of John the Baptist, Uh, the Bible says that he was led of the Spirit, led of the Holy Spirit up into the wilderness and there to be tempted of the devil. Now we know Jesus had no sin. And so what happened? He went up there and he face to face met the devil. Now I've never seen the face of the devil. But I believe I've met him face to face a lot of times in my lifetime. As surely as I believe in God, I believe in the existence of the devil. As surely as I believe that God has talked to me, the devil has talked to me. And so we have to be careful in discerning the spirits that come unto us. And uh, I want us to notice something that God inspired the Apostle John to write down in the epistle of the soon as I find it here. The epistle of John, chapter 2 and verse 15. Here's what the Bible says. For love not the world. Now you know what the world is. It's all that flashing lights and all of that stuff out there that brings pleasure to the flesh and so forth. It says love not the world. Neither the the things that are in the world. If any man love the world... The love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, now here's what I want you to see. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh. I mark that down somewhere. The lust of the flesh. The lust of the eye. Mark that down somewhere. And the pride of life. Mark it down. Is not of the Father, but is of the world. Now here's three errors of sin that is in the world. The lust of the eye, lust of the flesh, the pride of life. And I want you to know that if you're faced with a sin today, it'll be in one of these three different categories. And then, so we'll go back to the book of Matthew where we were, in fact, a little, little farther back than where we were, the chapter 4. And we'll notice the temptation of the Lord Jesus Christ and how that he was faced with all three of these Uh, categories that John mentioned. In chapter 4 and verse 3, and when the tempter, that is Satan, came to him, he said, If thou be the Son of God, uh, command that these stones be made bread. 
Now, he had been hungry for 40 days. This old flesh that he was in, certainly it was a sinful, not a sinful flesh, but it was made in the form of sinful flesh, and it had the same desires that our body has, and so he had grown very, very hungry. And uh, Satan came up to him and said, if you're really the son of God. And uh, you remember, Satan knows all about God. Uh, he was there in that uh, uh, determinate council before the world was formed. And he said, now, if you're really the son of God, he knew he was really the son of God. He was just tempting him. And, and uh, this is something that is a mystery to me. If he knew Jesus that well, and he knew that he was a perfect, sinless son of God, how did he think he was going to get him to fall? Well, you see, Satan is smart in many ways, but he's dumb in some ways. He is still trying to overcome God in the day in which we live. And so he came to Jesus and said, if you're really the son of God, now prove it to me. Turn these rocks to bread. And now, what is that? That's the lust of the flesh. I mean, he was hungry. And and so he tempted him in the era of the lust of the flesh. And of course, you know the story how that uh, Jesus always uh, turned around and used the word of God on him. And uh, we're not going into that this morning. I simply want you to see these three different eras of which Jesus was tempted and had victory over. And uh, I want you to know if Jesus had victory over them, and if we have Jesus, we can have victory over them. Amen? All right, notice verse 6. And he said unto him, If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down, for it is written, He shall give his angels charge concerning thee, and uh, in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou dashest thy foot against a stone. If thou be the Son of God, cast yourself down. And, and uh, so uh, we find here that uh, that's the pride of life. That's, that's where, you know, uh, we get caught up in that, in that sometimes. None of us would want to admit to being proud, would we? But you know what happens if... Uh, if I want to get something out of Brother Kobe, I want him to do something, or I can go over and I put my arm up around his shoulder and say, Brother, you are really a good fella. I really like you. Man, after a while, he's feeling pretty good, you know. And he says, I believe I'll just do what he asked me to do. And that's exactly the way Satan does. He'll get you to a place where he'll build you up and make you feel good and make you feel like you've accomplished a lot of things. And then he'll lead you right down the wrong path. He said to Jesus, now if you're really the son of God, uh, you can cast yourself down and uh, the angels will keep you from getting hurt. Yeah. And, and then we go on down a little bit farther and you remember as we said, uh, Jesus always answered him with the scripture. And then verse 8 says, and the devil taketh him up into exceeding high mountain and showeth him all the kingdoms of the world and, uh, uh, and the glory of them. Now, what's this? The pride of the lust of the eye. The lust of the eye. Did you know, especially now, men, I didn't think about this when I was putting this together, but uh, do you know us men has more trouble with that than women? Uh, I seen an article one time, I already knew this, but I seen an article one time where they done a, a study, and they said, what impresses males and females the most? And what impresses males the most 
Brother Russell, what impresses us men the most is what we see. Now you just think about that for a moment and see if that's not right. What we see, that's the reason you see all these uh, beautiful cars and, and uh, half-clad women, and I might as well say it like it is, on TV and, and all that, try, trying to get the eye of the male. Now what's the women impressed by? Somebody tell me. Huh? What they hear. That's the reason, you know, there's all kinds of songs about whispering sweet nothings in the air. And, and that's, that's what it amounts to when you get all down to it. Most of the time, they're sweet, they don't mean a thing. And, but, but men are impressed by what they see, and women are impressed by what they hear. Uh, and uh, so it is uh, that Jesus here was victorious over the uh, lust of the eye, over the lust of the flesh, and over the pride of life. And uh, th that has worked so well with Satan. He's used those same temptations over and over again, and he still uses them on us today to try to get us to walk away from where God is. You know, I've seen it happen even in the work of the Lord. People get to studying and they get to learning a lot about uh, the Word of God and they get to knowing a lot about God and after a while they get where they think they're smarter than God. And uh, that's exactly what Satan wants us to do is get to the place where we think what, what we think and what we can reason out is better than what God has said. And do we better understand this morning like Jesus did that it's the word of God that uh, we can fight with and nothing else. And that's exactly the way he became victorious over the devil in the wilderness was when he used the word of God on him. Now, if we go a little bit farther or might say back up a little bit, if we'll go to the book of Genesis in chapter 3, we're going to find out that here was Eve and the devil used the same thing on her that he used on Jesus and the difference was that she yielded unto him and uh, Jesus was victorious over him. Now let's notice a few things. As you know how the story builds up that uh, they, they were placed there in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve was, and they were told you can eat of any tree in the garden except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And he said, don't touch that. And uh, then Satan came and began to try to talk Eve in a notion of partaking of it. And he started out with this. You remember we was talking a few moments ago about believing the word of God and standing on the word of God. And the first thing Satan did to Eve was get her to doubt the word of God. He said, surely God didn't mean that. Hey, did you get that? Has anybody ever said that to you? You know, you say, well, so-and-so said this to me. Say, surely he didn't mean that. Yeah. You know, and, and that's exactly what Satan said. He said to Eve, surely God didn't mean it. You misunderstood God. He didn't mean that. Now, I don't know what all else that Satan said to her. That's all God recorded. But he probably said something like this. You know how good God is and how much he loves you and, and on and on. Surely he won't kill you if you eat of that tree. And, uh, but let's notice uh, what tempted Eve. In the third chapter in the sixth verse, we find, And when the woman saw the tree was good for food, lust of flesh. She saw that it was good for food. That food 
Well, and she said, and then it says, and pleasant to the eye. Not only was it good to eat, but it was good to look at. And then it goes on to say, and the tree to be desired to make one wise. Pride of life. See, all three of those things, and Eve failed for them, hook, line, and sinker. Now, when you get tempted today, in this year of 2010, I believe it is, and you get tempted in 2010, you check up to see which one of these that the devil's using on you. Is it, is it the pride of life? And it may not be that you're going to become famous and your name's going to become a household word, but it may be that you'll just look good in another person's eye. Pride of life. Is it the lust of the eye? Now, I don't want you females to think, since I said men was influenced more by uh, what they saw and thinking you can't be influenced by what you see as well. And you men don't think that you can't be influenced by what you hear as well. You know, I heard this story one time, and, and it really it's, uh, has to do with music, but I think it fits right here. Uh, this fella owned a cafeteria-style restaurant where you go around and get your own food, you know, and they're getting to be more and more of those. And uh, this friend went to visit him, and they were sitting there, and it got up about lunchtime, and said, the fellow that owned the cafeteria said, I'm going to have to speed that line up that's beginning to back up. I'm going to have to speed that line up. And the friend wondered, what in the world is he going to do? Is he going to get a server up there, or is he going to bring out another bar, or what? what's he going to do? And he just went over to where he was playing music, very soft and very uh, calm-like. And he put on a fast-moving song. And that guy said he sat there and watched them. He said where they were dipping like that. He said they were. <laughs> now, that's supposed to be a true story. And I simply say that to say we're influenced by some of the things we hear. And so we need to be careful, not only what we look at, but what we listen to. And so Eve faced all of these things and failed, and Satan uh, tempted Christ with them, and he was victorious. So now that we are aware of the, how that Satan approaches us, perhaps we're better able to stand against those evils. And so let us not forget that trouble comes into the lives, not only of those that have rebelled and those that have gone against God, but also those that have fallen closely to God. Remember Job, that man that was upright of heart, and uh, very little you can find wrong with him, and yet much trouble came into his life. It was a time of testing, and that's exactly what these men were doing. We'll go back to that eighth chapter of the book of Matthew and look at verse 24. And behold, there arose a great tempest in the sea, insomuch that the ship was covered with the waves, but he was asleep. Jesus was asleep. There was a storm that came into the lives of these seasoned fishermen. Now think about this for a moment. They were out there, and they knew exactly what to do when a storm came up. They knew exactly what to do in order to get control of the boat. But this tempest was so great, water began to come over the sides and fill the boat. They knew not what to do. 
As I read that, I thought, man, I've never been out on the sea when a tempest came. I've been out there when the boat rocks a little bit, uh, but I've never been out there when a tempest came. But I, I have had times in my life when tempests blew hard. And these men more or less threw their hands up and said, we don't know what to do. Have you ever been in that place when trouble came into your life? And said, I've done everything I know to do and things still are not going right. What am I going to do now? And so these seasoned fishermen faced a storm that was so great they knew not what to do. You know, I thought about those storms. And I'm not going to try to ask you this morning who has faced those storms because I know this. You're either going into a storm or you're coming out of a storm or you're in the midst of a storm. There's very little calm time between the storms of life. And so it is that we need a faith that will sustain us when those uh, storms come. And uh, you'll say, what am I going to do? If we want to come out the other side unscathed and unhurt, we'll just have to trust God. Amen. When it's out of our hands, we're just going to have to trust God. Yeah. And these disciples, these followers of God that had walked close with him, made a very good choice in verse 25. It says, And the disciples came to him, that is Jesus. And the disciples came to Jesus and awoke him, saying, Lord, save us, we perish. Why was Jesus asleep? Well, as we said earlier, he's got a body just like our body. And it needs rest. But I want you to know his spirit never sleeps. Do you remember when they brought all of those false prophets up before old Elijah? They began to call up on them and they didn't answer. Old Elijah made fun of them. You know, so many times today we're afraid to say anything against anybody that has religion attached to their name. My friends, if they're not following the word of God, you, don't have it, you shouldn't have any problem of condemning that doctrine. Old Elijah got over here and said to those false prophets, said, why don't you holler a little louder? Maybe he's asleep. And then he said, hey, talk a little louder. He may be on vacation. He just made fun of him. Then there came a time for Elijah to demonstrate the God that he served. And he reigned far down out of heaven. But you know, I thought here when they talked about, they went and awoke him. What's God trying to say to us? I believe he's trying to say, when you get ready to talk to God, you better make sure you've got his attention. You that have been around for a while know this is one of my pet peeves. And I, I put myself right in the same category. Maybe I'm just measuring most, most of your potatoes in my basket. 
But I find a lot of times when I'm praying in public, I've never got a hold of God. I'm praying out of courtesy. I'm praying out of tradition. Now you say, well, preacher, you ought to be better than that. I ought to be, but see, the Lord's still working on me. He hadn't got me to perfection yet. And when we do that, all we do, all that we're doing is calling worship. If we really want to get in contact with God and we really want to hear him, we better make sure we get somewhere alone, just us and him, and we make sure we've got his attention. And did you notice after they got his attention, the prayer was very short. Lord, save us. We perish. They didn't have to go into all the details. A lot of times we think we have to explain to God what's going on. God, you know I've got a problem in my life and here's what it is and, and God, here's probably what you can do about it. And all those things that God doesn't need more to hear in the first place. But it's a sincere desire of our heart that God listens to. Yeah. So let us get the attention of God. If we can, we can do all the other things about prayer correctly. We can, do, we can avoid all the things that hinders our prayer. We can pray just like God tells us to. But if we don't have his attention, it's all going to be vain. And so they awoke him. And uh, they got his attention. And then they prayed. You say, well, they didn't pray. They talked to him face to face. What's prayer? We're talking to God. And so I'm made to ask when we pray, are we sure that we have his attention? And uh, once that we've made sure that he's listening, the request doesn't have to be a long, drawn-out thing because it's spiritual and not physical. Jesus showed his disappointment with these disciples for not trusting him. He said, oh, you of little faith. Now, I can imagine I'd have been with the disciples. I'm in this boat, and the wind's blowing, and the waves are coming up higher in my head and the boat's already got water in it and I'm sloshing around in that water, uh, I know I'm going to say, I, I've got to have help. But you see, Jesus had already promised these disciples, I'll take care of you. But that old human nature shows up so many times. We may believe God, but the old human nature shows up and causes us to have uh, little faith. And so, as always, when Jesus spoke, there came a great calm. Have you ever been in the midst of one of those storms that I was talking about and have already throwed your hands up and say, I don't know what I'm going to do and I'm about to go crazy and all this. And then suddenly you go to the Lord and he says, everything's going to be all right. And you get a calm before the storm. There's a little saying that I thought I had uh, had it with me. I can't ever quote it like it says. I don't see it. I thought I brought it with me this morning. But it's called the serenity prayer. Some of you can probably quote it. I always get it messed up. 
But he says something like this. Here it is. God grant to me serenity to accept the things I cannot change. And the courage to change the things that I can. And the wisdom to know the difference. I think that should be the sincere desire of our hearts. Lord, when some, something comes into my life that I can't change, give me whatever it takes that I might accept it as your will. But Lord, if something comes into my life that I can change, give me the courage to do it. Then Lord, grant me the wisdom to know the difference. To whom do you look today for the calming of the storm that's in your life? Do you look to the bank? Do you look to the doctor? Do you look to therapist or counselor? I tell you, if we learn just to look for the one who has the control over the natural law, we'd see that things would be a lot different. They look to the one that had the power calm, the sea, and the wind. Yeah. And that's who we ought to look to today when there's trouble in our lives. And trust him that he'll work things out to our advantage. He's promised to do so. I ask you to stand if you would please. Piano player and song leader come. Brother back on my right. Brother Kobe, if you'll come over on my left. You'll come to center. I was trying to keep you out of that because of your leg. These men are here to help you this morning. The altars are always open as usual. I believe God will listen in a special way if you put forth the effort to come and get on those altars and dedicate it to God. We invite you to come this morning, especially if you're here lost. I invite you to come and find the Lord Jesus Christ dear to your soul is the same brother right. Number 261. 261. Oh soul, are you weary and troubled? No light in the darkness you see.